So uh, that leads us into our speaker tonight. I know you know Andre. He's been here, coming here for 364 days, I guess. Tomorrow be a year. I, I asked him to speak a little too soon, but, you know, I, I feel like he's going to make it through the night and get his year tomorrow. Um, he's, he's been awesome here. I love what he shares every week. I get something out of him. He's, he is one of those guys that's walked into this meeting, and you can just tell uh, something's clicked. It's working. Uh, and each week, every time I hear him speak, I'm like, man, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're sounding great. So anyway, I'm super excited that he is speaking tonight. Take it away, Andre. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Hey, guys. My name is Andre. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm really stoked to be here tonight. Uh, have this opportunity. It's uh, certainly an honor to speak here and sit in this chair. Um, as Jeff said, uh, tomorrow is my one-year birthday, and I'm confident that I will uh, wake up sober tomorrow. Thanks for the vote of confidence there. <laughs> Um, so uh, I'm going to follow the format uh, laid before us in the big book. What I'm supposed to do tonight is talk about how it was, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, we're going to make the how it was part a little bit brief. I'm not big on the whole drunk log thing. We know how we know how to do that well, you know. But my uh, my past, my early life. Uh, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was born a French Lutheran. The only significance that I think to that is uh, that, uh, you know, I had a God connection young in life. My parents brought me to church. I didn't want to go. You know, I think most kids don't. I know I didn't. I hoped that they slept in on Sunday morning. But I went, and, you know, we had a pastor that taught us that uh, we had, there was a God, and it was a God of love. And I'm really fortunate for that. And I'm blessed for that because a lot of the people I meet in these rooms were taught the opposite, uh, that there was a guy that was sitting around waiting to cast him into hell because they had some thought. And I was not taught that. And I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, that I didn't have a God issue when I came here. At least I feel that I'm fortunate. Um, I was from Brooklyn, New York originally. I lived there for uh, most of my uh, younger years. That's um, kind of where I consider to have grown up. My family was, I, th th I think, pretty normal. You know, my parents uh, did drink. Um, I don't attribute anything from my past or my family or my parents the way that they, and I don't attribute any of that to the reason I'm sitting before you here tonight. I'm a firm believer that I'm here tonight because it's in my DNA, and that's that. Um, when I, fir I first started drinking, or my first remembering of that is something that's often talked about, is, uh, and I remember being 12 years old. And to remember, the reason I remember that is because it was the summer of 1975. And the reason I remember that is because uh, what was playing on the radio, Paul McCartney and Wings, Silly Love Songs, was in the, uh, one of the most popular songs. Somebody once told me that uh, music is the soundtrack of your life, and if you ever want to remember where you were at a specific time, think of what was playing on a radio. I don't know if that holds true today uh, with technology and all the stuff that we have, music coming from everywhere, but it, that's the way it was then. And I remember that summer because uh, one of the things we did as a family was that we went camping. And during those camping trips from Brooklyn, we'd go out into the, uh, you know, out to the wilderness from, from the city. And uh, as a kid, you met the other kids. And what we did was we, 
We would raid our family's uh, liquor cabinets or whatever you had when you were camping. In our case, it was a cooler full of beer, and we would all get a few of them. And in the evening when the parents were hanging out together around the campfire, we were off doing our thing, which was drinking whatever we could steal from our parents at that time. I also remember being the family bartender at that age. Uh, It wasn't a nightly thing. In Brooklyn, we had this thing in uh, front of the house. The steps that brought you up to the house was, we called it the stoop. I think we call it the stoop here, too. I don't know. I don't live in the city. But um, that was a social place where, you know, my parents used to sit out on the stoop and people would walk by and have drinks. And I was the uh, guy that was mixing the gin and tonics. My parents liked the way I mixed a, a drink. I had a heavy hand. And it wasn't exactly one for you, one for me. But I had my share while I was mixing them. And that was kind of my introduction. I didn't... Uh, and I, it was nothing glamorous. I was just—I just had uh, what I could get my hands on. Um, I didn't start seriously drinking until a few years later, when I was uh, about a junior in high school. Was when I really started to enjoy getting hammered, and I got hammered plenty of the time that I was in my last couple of years of uh, school. Those were my last couple of years of school. I joined the Navy at the age of 17. And um, there was a big drinking culture in the Navy. There was something wrong with you if you didn't drink. That's not why I joined the Navy. I joined the Navy because I needed something to do after high school. I wasn't the best student, so I knew college would be kind of a waste of time. I wanted to learn a trade. I wanted to see the world. So I went and signed signed up for the Navy. And I was very happy to be there because uh, everybody there was getting hammered most of the time, you know? When we got off work, we were out getting hammered. I used to say, this is during the 80s, so the Cold War was going on, and I used to say, if the Russians ever wanted to attack us, they could do it at lunchtime, because half the Navy was in their rack sleeping off last night's bender, and the other half was in the bar getting ready for, you know, when they finally got off in the afternoon, and that was the truth. And so I spent eight years there uh, partying the whole time. I uh, got married to my now ex-wife, uh, just prior to leaving the service. That was 1989. We moved to South Florida, which is where I spent a few years before uh, going into the Navy. Uh, my first child was born. My daughter was born five years later, 94. My son followed four years after that. And I worked in a shipyard, a yacht repair facility. I worked on big motor yachts. 150, 200 foot, you know, $50 million motor yachts. I'm a welder by trade. I worked in the metal shop building beautiful things for these motor yachts. And I, a guy that I worked for was an older fellow from Bermuda. His name was Eldon. And he was talking about this other older, older fellow one time whose name was George. And Eldon said to me, you know, George is a, uh, alcoholic, you know? And, um, you know, I, I didn't know that about George at that time, you know, but he said that uh, George was a functioning alcoholic, and I was like, well, what's that mean? And he said, well, George uh, George comes to work every day, he's in charge of a bunch of fellows, and uh, he's never late, he never misses a day's work, he doesn't make any mistakes while he's here at work, he doesn't get into any trouble, but he goes home and he drinks a case of beer every night, you know? He's a functioning alcoholic, and I was about 25 years old at the time, and I thought to myself... Eh, maybe that's me, you know, but it went in this ear and out the other because I drank quite a bit, but I didn't have any uh, issues at that time. And um, it turns out that I was quite the functioning alcoholic. I just kept drinking uh, throughout those years. Um, 
and life was never really uh, turned into some of the train wreck type things. And I don't minimize that, you know. But like when I hear, I was not a blackout drinker. I hear about some of you guys telling those stories. I never woke up like on the highway wondering where I was. That was, that scares the shit out of me when I hear that stuff. I did not. I did not have those issues. I was functioning, and, and that presents its whole own set of problems, you know, and I didn't know what they were. When I first came here and I met Reed, he educated me on that, and uh, that it does, it presents this whole set of problems, because it's much easier for me to walk into this room and say, I'm not like you when I hear that that horror story, you know, because I managed to function somehow. And 15 years ago, I came here, and I heard those horror stories, and I thought that. I, you know, and I very well could have stayed 15 years ago. I qualified 15 years ago, you know, but I was like, I'm not like those guys, you know. But um, I qualified, that's for sure. So uh, what happened, you know? If your life isn't the train wreck, how do you end up? How do you end up here, you know, if you're just functioning? So as is typical, we've heard before, you know, this, uh, this disease is progressive. It gets worse. And we, get, we go from a time where drinking is fun and we go out with our friends and we drink and we drink at home. I was always having a good time drinking. And uh, it just turned out to be something that I had to do instead, instead of something that I wanted to do. You know, the last uh, couple of years that I was doing it was... Uh, got pretty dark. I had gotten remarried uh, about 10 years previous. Um, I was on my own for several years after I was divorced. And my divorce, uh, that had, you know, did booze have something to do with that? Yeah, there was a lot of factors, though. And I'm not trying to minimize that. Um, Yes, it did have something to do with it. Uh, there was a lot of factors. That's a story for another day. But, uh, yeah, there were some, there were some issues because of that. Um, so I, being a functioning guy, I just kind of like brought that into the next relationship. And that was when I decided maybe I need to do something about this. I kind of knew before, but I always thought I could do this by myself. I didn't think I needed you guys. I didn't think I needed to come here. This is the last place that I really wanted to be. I don't think anybody comes here really wanting to be here. I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, man, I'm going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous tonight for my first uh, meeting. You know? And um, I just thought... You know, like everybody else, I could do this by myself. Um, And obviously, I could not, you know. I always thought that there was more to life than I was presenting myself with. I always thought that I was better than what I was doing on a daily basis. Um, I had a vision of, like, this other person that I wanted to become. And, uh, you know, every time I went home in the evening and grabbed a beer or grabbed a shot or was halfway into a bottle of vodka, that vision got further away, and I was just that same guy that I had been for years and years and years. And years and years ended up being 38 years, you know? Um, uh, I kept going and kept going, and finally the writing was on the wall, you know? My wife was, uh, God bless her, she was getting discontented with me. By now, um, I was uh, very lucky to have her, and uh, I wasn't acting like I was lucky to have her. I didn't realize how lucky it was. Of course, you get that alcoholic thinking. She was being a pain in my ass. Why don't you just leave me alone? You know, look at all the good shit that I do. Look at I take care of this. I do this. You don't have to take care of any. You don't have to worry about this. Why don't you just leave me alone, you know? If this is the worst thing that I do, you have it pretty good, don't you? Well, not really. But I didn't realize that. 
but the writing was on the wall, and with that, and I was starting to see a little bit of health issues popping up. My blood pressure, I've always been generally healthy. My blood pressure was starting to go through the roof. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and my head would be kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. And, I mean, it was literally starting to go through the roof. And I was trying to lose weight. I wasn't losing any weight. Um, and I, I just knew that this dark path was only going to get darker. I knew that. I knew that I had to do something about it. I was still in denial that I was going to come here, you know, and um, being a Christian guy, I uh, thought, well, I could just pray my way out of this, right? I don't, uh, I have a fairly good relationship with God. What I didn't realize at the time was that the alcohol was blocking that pathway and that relationship. I didn't realize it at that time. And I was praying a lot for a long time for something to happen and something to change and for God to remove that from me. And it would happen every now and then for a few days or a few weeks, but it, it would always go back. But I never gave up that uh, that, that that prayer, you know, continue uh, praying about that. And I heard this preacher one time, and he told this story about this uh, tribe of Indians, and they were known for their rain dance. And any time that another tribe needed them to come to uh, do a rain dance because their area needed some rain, they would call in this one tribe. And sure enough, the tribe would go there and do their rain dance, and it would start raining. And one day somebody asked the Indian chief, you know, how is it that every time you guys come out here or to anywhere else and start your rain dance, it starts raining? How do you do it? And the chief just looked at him and said, well, it's real simple. We dance until it rains. And sometimes you have to keep praying until it rains. So I kept doing that. And I started getting little signs that I really do have to go to that place. I knew of the Lindell Club because I had been here 15 years prior. I live around a corner from Central Services. I could walk to Central Services. But I kind of felt a connection to this, this, this building, this place. I kind of thought, you know, maybe I'm supposed to do this. I woke up on uh, September 26th of last year, uh, 18, and um, I was supposed to go in for blood work for something, and the uh, address to the place was 455 Kirkwood, South Kirkwood Road, and I was getting ready to leave work or get the address in my phone in the morning, and then when I hit 4-5 and autofill to 4522 Lindell Club, and of course this place had been on my mind, and I probably looked it up on my phone, you know, and... Uh, I looked at my phone and I was like, all right, somebody's trying to tell me something here, so maybe, and and I was inching closer and inching closer and inching closer, but still didn't have what it took to walk through these doors. And uh, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to find out about this Lindell Club place a little bit better. Got online, went to their contact us, and I sent an email to contact us, and I just said, hey, I see there's a 6.15 meeting on Wednesday tonight. Is all I have to do show up and go to find the 6.15 meeting? It says it's in the big room. And the answer I got said yes and yes. And that was good enough for me. I was like, all right, I'm going to go there. And a few hours later, in fact, at 12.30 on 9.26.18, I received an email back from Rita, who is on staff here, or was at the time. I assume she still is. She sent me a very nice email, which gave me parking recommendations, how to get to the big room, blah, 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 blah. Started out with sorry for the quick automated response earlier. I was very busy. 
Um, and at the end of the email, she said, welcome to the Lindell Club. And when I read those five words, something something happened, you know, and we hear about these moments of clarity and we hear about this spiritual thing that happens. And I kind of felt like Lindell Club was, I was supposed to come here. And um, I just felt like this elation in that moment and the hair in the back of my neck stood up and I was like, this is it, man. I'm supposed to go there. You know, I'm being led to 615 at the Lindell Club tonight. And three weeks later, I showed up. Uh, that was a rough three weeks. I don't recommend that to anybody. I white-knuckled it for three weeks. And I think it was because, um, you know, I still had a way out. I kind of felt like, uh, especially, I guess, with my wife, I felt like <laughs> if I actually came here, I had weaseled my way out so many times, I thought that if I came here, I was going to be a little bit more committed and wouldn't be able to weasel my way out. And... And I had weaseled my way out so many times, I just thought, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. And finally, three weeks later, on 17th of October, I drove down here, and I uh, sat back there. And at that time, uh, before the meeting started, a fellow walked up to me and held out his hand and said, Hey, my name's Reed, and I introduced myself. And uh, as soon as that happened, I, I felt a little more welcome here. You know, somebody said hi to me. And then you guys all said welcome when I introduced myself. And then you guys all told me to come back. And when I left here, I had like my second moment of clarity. And I really thought, you know, I think I really do belong here. Um, so read... Uh, we exchanged phone numbers, and um, he said a couple weeks later, I think, and I was trying to figure out the whole sponsorship thing, I was like, hey, what am I supposed to do, what not? And he said, hey, I could be your temporary sponsor. I guess he liked me. We kind of clicked, and he is still my sponsor today. And I feel what happened at that time, you know, Bill Wilson describes it in the big book as uh, the sunlight of the spirit, that that alcohol is blocking the sunlight of the spirit. No matter what I tried to do on my own, no matter how close I thought I was to God, I, it was being, there was a blockade because I kept pumping that bottle of vodka into my system every night, you know? And also, you know, God has a plan for all of our lives. And uh, perhaps my plan is a little more grand because I'm here, you know? This is where my creator wanted me to be, and I fought it and fought it and fought it, and finally said, okay, and, and here I am. So the transformation began. So we're going to go here now, like what it's like now. You know, we'll start with what I've learned since I've been here. A couple important things that most of you guys, just about everybody already knows. If you're just starting out here, you know, one of my hang-ups was that um, I just thought I had shitty self-control. And I thought that everything uh, was all on me, that there was something wrong with me. You know, I learned that I have an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind, and it's a medical thing, and there's nothing I can do about that. When most people say this drink is making me feel uncomfortable, I'm just getting started, you know? And there's nothing wrong with me. I don't have any lack of self-control. I've lost 30 pounds since last year, you know? I have a very, uh, other than the booze, I had a very uh, regimented lifestyle, and it's even more so now. But the allergy of the mind, the uh, um, uh, 
uh, allergy of the body, sorry, and the obsession of the mind, and a spiritual void. So, how does a guy who feels he has a fairly decent connection with God have a spiritual void? Well, he created it himself. You see? I did that all by myself. Every night when I went home and grabbed that bottle of vodka, I created it myself. You know, we're trying to get better here. You know, listening to you guys has helped me become better, helped heal this disease that we share. You know, when Reed started talking to me, uh, he started asking me some a uh, couple personal questions right out the gate. I didn't hardly know this guy, but uh, it didn't. I could care less. And just like the big book, I had not read that part of the big book yet. Uh, Bill Wilson says we seem to be able to have this connection with each other that we immediately click and so on. And I felt like I was clicking with you guys where I hadn't clicked, uh, you know, often with a lot of other people. You know, I've learned that as long as I follow these suggestions that are outlined in this book, and this is a simple program. Bill Wilson calls it a simple program, and it is. I'm a simple-minded guy, so this works great for me. Don't try to make this too complicated is what I've learned. Just follow the program. If I do this, I can stay sober. Okay? So, Carl tells us all the time, just don't drink. Sounds simple, right? I learned from Roger. Roger talked about the serenity prayer. We say that every day. Roger talked about how important that is. Right? I fall back on that. Go to meetings. I go here, I go every Saturday morning, I hit one every now and then, I've managed to pull together some service time, uh, Reed and I and a couple other guys, Bill Darty visited a fellow that was uh, in an assisted living place for quite a while, now he's gotten home, I say quite a while, was it six weeks, eight weeks, he uh, is now home, I got to chair a meeting at the Fall Classic, uh, maybe there was nobody else available, I don't know. But that's okay, you know. Um, I got to speak here at my six-month point. That meant a lot to me. You know, I thought that you didn't get to do this until your first year. And John uh, and some other guys that have been around here a long time will tell you that, that nobody let you do that until your first year. That was really cool for me. I mean, that put me in a place where for three weeks I tried to prepare for this. And, and, and um, it, it was a real cool experience, and I'm happy for it. And when I sat here, I said, uh, you know, the next chair that I want to sit in is that chair. And, well, we'll get to that in just a second here. So it's just a simple program, you know, but it's, there's a lot of maintenance involved, you know. Uh, it's just like going to the gym, right? You build up some muscles. If you stop going to the gym, your muscles go away. If I stop coming here and stop listening to you guys and modeling you guys... That's what I do. I'm no fucking genius here, all right? All I do is I listen to guys who have succeeded at this and do what they tell me to do. I have no interest in listening to the guys who fail at this, nor do I have any interest in listening to the people that will tell you about that other program because there's something wrong with this one. This works. I don't have any reason to go do anything else. You know, a whole bunch of guys sitting in this room that have been at this for 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, 5 years. I don't care. A day longer than me. Six months. I learn shit from Michael all the time. Don't tell me that, you know, somebody who's just started this doesn't, uh, you know. That man is a bookworm, and he is constantly studying this stuff. We have a chat. I learn something from him every time I sit down and talk to him, you know. And, um, but you got to keep coming. I have to keep coming. I don't recommend listening to somebody who tells you any different. 
We have them from time to time. Not a lot here. Other meetings, guys will tell you, oh, I just show up once a year and do my talk or whatnot. Um, historical data tells us that that's not a great idea. I don't need to find that out for myself. I have made a living off of learning from other people's mistakes. I will learn from your mistake if you let me without making that mistake myself. And uh, I heard a guy yesterday, and he said that uh, he considers a lot of these guys in these rooms to be his, he's like a, in a fort, and this is on a podcast, and a lot of these guys are like, he calls them his scouts. They go out, and they all come running back, and when they come running back, they got an ass full of arrows, and they say there's still Indians out there. So I'm not going to try that. I'm not going to. I'm, ho- I'm not going to find that out. I'm going to do what you guys do. You guys have taught me how to do this right because you guys do it right. Okay, it's important to have a home group. I learned that. I try to listen to everything you guys say. A guy sat here as a speaker just uh, you know a few months ago, and he talked about how somebody had, had carried a 24-hour coin. His name was Dan. He uh, and uh, Dan said. You know, this guy told me that he had carried a coin around for a 24-hour coin. I thought that was a good idea, so I went out and bought one, and it's been in my pocket since. So I went out and bought one after Dan said so, and it's been in my pocket ever since. So I've been two times when I didn't have that coin in my pocket, and it freaked me out. You know? Uh, it was at home. It was safe. But I literally left home and said, i got to run an errand. You know? And I left and ran home to grab my damn coin. <laughs> Not because I felt that this, uh, it's got some esoteric power that is in my pocket. Now I can make it home without stopping at the bar. But I just feel better with it in my pocket, you know? But that's what somebody, somebody talked, me, talked me about, you know? And I just, you know, I need to just say that since I've begun in this program, it, three simple words, everything is better. Relationships are better, you know, my relationship with my wife is better, my relationship with God is better, my relationship with pretty much every human being I run into is better. And I thought I was a nice guy to start with, you know, I thought I was easy to get along with before, you know, and um, everything is better. Uh, waking up with a clear head is the, f- the first thing I do is uh, thank God in the morning that I woke up with a clear head. The last thing I do at night is thank God that I'm going to bed with a clear head. You know, I wake up in the morning with step 11. I go to bed with step 10. And then I try to practice step 12 whenever I get a chance. You know, and if you're new and you don't know what those are, they're on the wall right here. I need to close here. But I'll tell you something, two things. Number one, I do, I, I, uh, we say a lot of things that other people have said. A lot of shit that I said tonight I've heard other people say. I made this one up. This program to me is like these glasses. When I was about 40 years old, I suddenly needed reading glasses. And the first thing I thought was, how in the hell am I going to keep track of these damn things? I've lived 40 years and never had a pair of glasses. How am I going to keep track of these things? These glasses became a part of my person like that. I have never wondered where these glasses are. But like my 24-hour coin, if for one, some reason I can't find my glasses, I freak out because I need these damn things. you know. But they became a part of my person like that. This program has become a part of my life like that because I come here and I listen to you guys and then I try to practice what's in this book. It's not a big secret. There's no secrets here. You know? So I'll close with this. Almost a year ago, I was sitting back there and my what I thought to myself was one of these days I want to sit up here and I met that goal six months ago. I wasn't expecting that. But here I am now. I can guarantee you, when Jeff first said to me, will you speak on a Wednesday, and I looked at the calendar, I was like, shit, it's the night before my birthday. I was like, ah, 
I see guys all the time say, I got three years, I got 15 years, whatever, and my birthday is next week. I guess it's no big deal. I mentioned it to him. He said, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But it freaked me out just a little bit when I thought about the fact that, wow, one year ago, what was I doing? And that scared me for a second. I've got to turn the negative into a positive here, but, you know, one year ago right now, at 10 minutes to 7, one year ago tonight, I was half into a bottle of vodka. I guarantee you, I was sitting in a chair in my living room, probably with Netflix on, half into a bottle of vodka, not giving a fuck about a lot of things, you know? And a year later, I'm able to sit here. And that's because this is a program of change. If you want to do this thing, you will change. All you got to do is look around you and you see every one of these guys has changed. And every one of them has changed for the better. You will never hear one of these guys say, I've been coming here for 15 years. My life is more fucked up now than it ever has been 15 years ago. You know, you will never hear that. Their lives change for the better. My life has changed for the better. When I go home tonight, I'm carrying that briefcase home. I joked with Bob Larson. He, he's not here tonight, but he was sitting in Jeff's chair when I gave my six-month talk, and I jokingly said to him, I'm coming for you next, you know? It's just a goal. I'm not trying to be cocky. It's the last thing that I want to be. But I, I, I'm a goal-oriented person, and I, I think that we have, we have goals, we have plans, and that helps us to stay sober, you know? So I will carry that, and I'm the chairman in October, you know? And it's time to see what's next. I'm excited to wake up tomorrow morning and say one year is uh, officially uh, in the books, and what is today going to bring? I only look at today, you know? I'm not looking for year two. I'm looking for tomorrow. Wake up in the morning and thank God that I'm sober. Go to bed at night and thank God that I'm sober. And thank God that I have you guys here. So thank you. Thank you.